1: Good morning! Diary It's time to wake up. It's 5, and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. the is the pre-game show.
0: Your of sports shot of sports on 95.7.
2: Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Steven Lightford did it on the pregame show. 95 7 the game, leading up until 6 o'clock is the morning roast. We'll take you until 10. I got a lot to get to today. I want to get to Kyle Shanahan and what he had to say regarding the quarterback battle because there's nothing more interesting than that. We got Langford's long balls coming up at 545. Haven't done that in a while where I go through my five favorite home runs of the week. We will get to that at 545. Do want to talk about the A's and Giants series that's coming up, including uh, the A's big win over the White Sox. Yesterday, because the Giants had the day off after taking two of three from the Mets, and I'll have a question surrounding that. But I need to start off my show with a couple of other things. The first thing is Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell, Detroit Lions head coach, the new head coach. He originally was the tight ends coach, I believe, with the Miami Dolphins and served as their interim head coach, and that's where I'd heard of him first because he was heavily featured on social media, uh, whatever. He was talking at his pressers, and you may know Dan Campbell from his introductory presser. At least you will know the voice when the Lions fans got a first look at their new head coach.
0: So this team's going to be built on, we're going to kick you in the teeth, All right, and and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right, and we're going to stand up, and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down, all right. And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're going to get up, and then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. Before before <laughs> long, we're there going to be the last one standing. All right, That's going to be the mentality.
2: Okay, so that's where you'd first heard of Dan Campbell. Now, this just came across my timeline literally five minutes ago is where I saw this sound, and this happened yesterday when he spoke at the podium. But Back on the 17th on the 17th, he ended up making some roster cuts and one guy that he did cut was his log snapper Don Molbach. Don Molback, if you look, his birthday when he was cut is on August 17th, 1981. So if you do the math there, dan campbell had fired him on his 40th birthday essentially and i don't know if he realized it was his birthday or not but when he was asked about it listen to his response over at the podium
0: no there's no way to sugarcoat that you know i'm an ass <laughs> so there's that's about the best way to put it and i oh, hate right, it so no it far. is but it's there's no way to you know there was no way around it really i mean yeah you could say there is but ultimately that falls on me it's my fault and uh Don's a hell of a dude, and, you know, that's it sucks, but it is what it is. <laughs> man, when I saw that, it's
2: just every little thing this guy does at the podium. And the reason that I'm featuring him so much is because 49er fans, you're going to be playing this guy week one. But, man, when I hear things like... We're not going to wipe any butts around here. We're not filled with a bunch of babies. We are grown men. He said that at one point. He went to a presser in a full-on football helmet and was doing a presser with a helmet on for I don't even know what reason. And now the dude cuts a long snapper on his 40th birthday who'd been to the Pro Bowl a couple of times along with the Lions.
0: No, there's no way to sugarcoat that, you know. I'm an ass... So there's, that's about the best way to put it. And I hate it.
2: Oh, man. Brutal. Brutal. That's, I, you know what? I give him credit. I give him credit at the podium for being honest, for, you know, really presenting himself as to who he is. You know, it doesn't sound like, when he says I'm not going to sugarcoat it, it doesn't sound like he sugarcoats anything. And I do give him a lot of respect for that. And speaking of which, we will get to what Kyle Shanahan had to say at the podium because we want to talk about something being contradictory. I mean, what Kyle Shanahan is saying day after day feels like he's continuing to change his mind, or at least sway his opinion on the quarterback competition uh, every single day with Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, and we will get to that uh, in the next segment. But one other thing that I did want to talk about. I just want to put a bow on the Draymond and KD interview conversation that we've been having and just share some of my final thoughts on it. And here's where I'm at now, two days removed from the whole thing, and I tried to take my fandom out of it, tried to take the Warriors' fandom out of it, because, you know, the reason why we're looking at this with such an emotional perspective is because we are Warrior fans, and this is the organization that we root for, and rightfully so. We're, we we should have an emotional attachment to it. But where I'm at now is if there aren't any moves made with the Warriors, if nothing happens, if nothing comes of this, then, you know what? Clearly, the Warriors just don't care. Clearly, Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, they knew that this was his perspective. Maybe, you know, we had a caller on yesterday. Oh, he was on he was on Highway 24. I believe it was Joe. I believe it was Joe on Highway 24 who was saying that Kerr and Bob Myers already knew that Draymond was going to be saying those things. Now that might have been a little far fetched. I don't know if Draymond would have said uh, would have said those exact things to Curran Myers, and I don't think they would have let him on a podcast, uh, or at least they would have tried to stop him being on this interview show. Had they done, uh, had he told them that, but if they don't do anything, then clearly they're on Draymond's side. And Draymond has gotten to the point where look. The fans are the ones who are outraged about this. The fans are the ones who are determining for the f- the future for the Warriors based on this whole situation. But as as far as I've seen, I haven't heard anything from Warriors brass. I haven't seen anything from Stephen Curry, unless I'm totally missing out on something. In which case, you could prove me wrong at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. I'd be ha- ha- I'd be happy if you uh, if you did that, and then. Clay Thompson looks great right now. There's videos of him working out, but other than that, I haven't really seen anyone comment on it. I haven't seen anyone comment on it. However, I will say this, if you're Stephen A. Smith, and I'm sure you've heard the sound already, but where he was on first take and he just essentially said, where the hell is Steph Curry? This is Steph Curry's fault. The reason that this got overblown, like this has nothing to do with him anymore. This is this this interview was between Draymond and Kevin Durant. Steph doesn't need to step in here. Steph doesn't need to do anything. You know, I know he's the leader of the team, but right now he doesn't need to express his opinion to the public. I'm sure Steph is, you know, talking to the front office. I'm sure they've had phone calls saying, "Hey, you know, uh, what, hey, what, 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 uh, uh, what do you think about this? Did you see this? What do you think's going to happen?" Blah blah blah. I'm sure they've had conversations about it, uh, you know, privately. But they haven't said anything publicly. And until anything does, I'm not going to talk about it because all it really does is, you know, it it makes you, uh, you know, say maybe wrong things about the character because all in all, like, I find Draymond and Kevin Durant to be fascinating. I find the way that they, how openly they talk about sports to be fascinating. I find their upbringings to be fascinating. I find everything about them to be really refreshing. And if I wasn't a Warrior fan, I'd be looking at this completely different. You know, if I'm any other fan, if I'm a Pistons fan or a a Celtics fan, I'd have other things that I'd be trying to worry about. But I'd be looking at that from afar and saying, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Look at that. You know, but instead, being the warrior fan that I am, I'm looking at this with an emotional perspective from an emotional perspective. And you know what? In the end, unless something happens, I'm not going to try and get caught caught up too much in it even during the season, although I will be interested to see uh what the fan reception is like during the season. From the 510, well, if Steve Kerr and Bob Myers would have told them not to do the podcast, he obviously would have laughed in their face or told them to go F off. You aren't wrong on that one. All right. That's, that's all I'm going to talk about until—I mean, that's not all I'm going to talk about. That's all I'm going to say about it. Until something happens, until we get some sort of reaction from anyone on the Warriors— that's when I'll maybe talk about it again. But now, there's too much speculation. We've been going over it. We've pontificated about it for the past two days. And you know what? Fatigued by it. Totally fatigued by it. All right. Just to transition now, awkwardly. But the A's, they got their win over the White Sox 5-4 to four as they move to 69, nice, and 53 on the season. And yesterday was a big one for them because, look, going into these games and getting those runs early on it was crucial for them and you know Sean Murphy kicked it off with the home run uh you know uh, 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 Tony Kemp ended up walking with the bases loaded and uh Mitch Moreland uh, uh, ended up scoring but then Matt Chapman and Matt Olson both hit home runs uh Matt Olson of course with the big one to make it 5 to 3 and then the uh the White Sox weren't able to come back from that uh but you needed that win because the Astros ended up getting the uh win in the top of the 10th over the Kansas City Royals yesterday and uh, remain above them in the standings. But that makes this series not only for the A's, but for the Giants. This is huge. This is a big one for both teams because if it, you know, if you split, okay, I mean, if, you know, the Giants go two, two games to one or the A's go two games to one, okay, But if one of these teams gets a sweep, or one of these teams gets swept, it could have significant, significant... Goodness gracious! What is the word I'm trying to think of? It's five eleven in the morning, and I'm way, and I'm way too I'm way too just ugh, just fogged up over here uh, this early in the morning. Significant implications on the standings. How about that? Significant implications on the standings and what it could do for the future. Because if one of these teams, not only just because of the Bay Bridge series, and you need uh, the Bay Bridge series just for bragging rights, and every fan base needs that, but just for the playoff hopes, and right now with the Dodgers, they're still uh, creeping up on the Giants in the standings as they beat the Mets. Uh, uh, the Mets yesterday, while the Giants had the day off, so they gained a half a game there. But if one of these teams, you know, they can split, sure, two one, two one, whatever. But if one of them gets swept, then that could have significant implications on what goes on, ramifications in the standings for the four one five. Stephen A. Smith is a daytime soap opera actor. He has a reoccurring role on General Hospital on ESPN. I'm sure he knows. We, I'm not sure he knows which one is the soap anymore. Yeah, you know. You know what's interesting is I watched that Malice at the Palace, The Untold. You know. The Untold Mouse at the Palace documentary. Actually, the one that I got the uh, the date wrong. (laughs) You know, we remember that last week. Where I just said, "Oh yeah, it's coming out on the 17th, and then that ended up being something completely different. Uh, well, with uh, this one, I ended up watching on YouTube. They got like a fifteen-minute video of the actual broadcast that were going that was going on, and at the end, they had the post game, and on that post game was Stephen A. Smith, and you know, obviously, this being uh, back in the mid two thousands. You know, Stephen A. was at that point where he was just, you could tell, I mean, not only did he just, you know, look a lot younger, and obviously that's going to happen because it was, you know, 15, 16 years ago, but he just was so much more calm, (laughs) you know, and it just, it it wasn't the same, and I was just like, wow, look at the dramatic shift that he's made in his personality, you know? Like, like that's, I mean, watching these first take shows and seeing that back in 2004, 2005, I was like... Man, that is just a much more calm journalistic type of Stephen A. Smith I recommend you go back and check that out by the way and uh, see the reaction from the guys on the post game I did find that fascinating but nevertheless this weekend A's Giants it is a huge series and coming up next at 888 I do want to get to some 49ers talk as well as a little bit of Raiders and Rams talk because we had an interesting go around with uh, some joint practices yesterday so I do want to get to that but we will get back to this A's Giants series. Plus, we got Langford's long balls coming up at 545. We got a lot to talk about today. Stephen Langford did all the pregame show. 95 7 The Game. Now, back to the pregame show on 95 7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Stephen Langford in with you. 95-7 the game. a 957 9570 Already getting a lot of your texts here. From the 5-1-0, with this only being three preseason games, will Jimmy QB the whole first half? That's first half. That's from Oreo Cookie. From the seven-zero-seven. good thing the Niners didn't draft Mac Jones. Jimmy might really have had competition <laughs> at his position. Look, I, man... Here's the thing. Here's where I'm at on a majority of these rookie quarterbacks. It's only been one week in the preseason. And we just saw last night we had the Patriots and the Eagles. And, uh, you know, I, honestly, dude, I, 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 honestly, dude, I was out after really the second half. You know, I, I, I normally am uh, with the, with preseason games who aren't my local teams. Um, but, man, what I saw with Mac Jones, look, A lot of these guys, from what I've seen so far, is straight up, they look confident. Like, they've looked comfortable. And that's all you can really ask for from a rookie quarterback. But one guy who didn't look as comfortable as he should is... Trey Lance in that preseason week one game. And they just started their joint practices with the Chargers. And, you know, there are a couple of things that stood out. I, I can't remember who the dime was to, but Trey Lance threw something that was like 25 yards, and it was right to the uh, right to the left pylon. It was the perfect pass, the only place where the wide receiver could have caught that ball. It was an absolute dime. I saw a video of that. Saw a video of Mike McGlinchey going up against Joey Bosa, and whew, I mean, one out of the four or five reps that I saw that, uh, that were on video. I mean, look, there's there's only so much you could do uh, when you're going up against a guy like Joey Bosa, but Mike McGlinchey uh, didn't do uh, as well as I think that you'd, uh, you'd hoped he would have done. Um, you know, I saw Garoppolo make a couple of nice deep throws and, and all those different things. But here's where I'm at and talking about Trey Lance not looking comfortable, and this is something that I'm finding interesting. Here's Kyle Shanahan talking about just both quarterbacks and the fact that he's happy to have depth at the position.
3: They're competing their ass off. They're doing a good job. I mean, it's not about one guy versus the other guy. It's about how good can Trey be? How good can Jimmy be? Uh, I think both of them, and when you go through camp, you go through games, you go through practices, I mean, it's, it's up and down throughout the whole thing. So that's why I don't sit and who's ahead of the other, what's going on after each practice. I mean, they both bring different elements to our team. Um, both of them, I believe, can play at a high level, and I'm trying to see which one does that the best for us.
2: So Jimmy Garoppolo started off hot at this practice, and then toward the end, started to cool down down and uh, essentially just went over through an uh, through an interception to Asante Samuel Jr. and by the way I'll just say this if you're I don't know there probably aren't any Chargers fans listening right now at 521 but even with that play that Asante Samuel Jr. made I mean I can't believe he's the junior to Asante Samuel that's that's, that's crazy uh, but but he's making some nice plays I saw him make one over in week 1 I think they got something with this dude, but that's 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 neither here nor there. So when I'm looking at both Garoppolo and Lance it really is. I think, it, and you know, you, if you watch, if you watch uh, any of Trey Lance's debut back at all from that Week One preseason, it is so hard. Thank you, Geno's, to Jawan Jennings who looked good. Uh, Jawan Jennings. I think they're really going to need him at wide receiver, um, especially if one of those guys goes down. I think Jawan Jennings is going to have to contribute uh, a little more uh, than expected this season. But um, I don't know if we can properly evaluate how Trey Lance is as a quarterback if he doesn't play with the first team. Like That second team offensive line that the 49ers are trotting out there, it doesn't look very good. It doesn't look good. And right now, they're continuing to suffer uh, some injuries on that offensive line more and more. I mean, we got Trent Williams who had the knee swelled up, and Kyle Shanahan says that he hopes he's going to be back for the Raiders game next week. Uh, uh, who, who's the other one? Uh, Aaron Banks is the other guy, the rookie who is expected uh, to, to possibly even start and take over at guard. Aaron Brooks is uh, expected to, or excuse me, Aaron Brooks. Aaron Banks is expected to be out one to two more weeks. Like the depth they have. That offensive line it's not there and if you're not putting Trey Lance out there with the with the day one offensive line then I don't know how you can properly evaluate him because you could just be throwing him out there and I saw it in practice they had the you know the open practice over at Levi Stadium that I went to a few Saturdays ago and I'm watching it, and I'm just thinking. Well, I can't really say what see. Or I can't really say with any conviction how I what I thought about Trey Lance is because what I saw from the offensive line when he was going uh, in these eleven on eleven drills is that the offensive line was just constantly getting beat by the D line, and you know that that could speak to how much depth they have on the D line too. So you know, what, maybe it's a, you know compared apples to oranges, but nevertheless, still that second offensive line, even that preseason week one game. He didn't have much time. Now, sure, there was maybe a throw or two where he was being a little hesitant and he could have got the ball out quicker. Whatever. Yeah, there were a couple of those, but still, if you're getting sacked four times in a single game, then how are you going to truly evaluate Trey, Trey Lance and what he could do on the field if you're putting him behind that offensive line? It's tough. I mean, it's like, that's where I went to with Daniel Jones, for example, from the New York Giants. The New York Giants had a turnstile of an offensive line out there during the season. And, you know, Daniel Jones made some nice throws, but I'm like, also, wait till you give him a decent offensive line before you treat Truly make any conclusions about what type of quarterback he is but Kyle Shanahan he spoke about getting Lance some reps versus the first team defense
3: I'd like him to get some reps with the one of ones eventually we'll kind of reevaluate that after each practice and not just so he can get with our ones but also so he can go against some um the one defense and stuff so we'll see if we do some of that tomorrow if I do it'd be more trying to get him some reps versus Bosa and Derwin and some of those other guys too because it's definitely a difference
2: I'm telling you and it's and it's a huge it's it's a it's leaps and bounds like you know it's it's not exactly Brad Pitt and Moneyball when he's talking about the other teams in major league baseball and then there's 50 feet of crap then there's us it's not exactly like that but man there is something there I think with that with Putting Trey Lance with the ones and giving him some on-field work. Now, I've already come to terms with the fact that Garoppolo is going to be start the starter week one. And you know what? Considering how bad the Lions and the Eagles are expected to be, if you're putting Jimmy Garoppolo out there in those in week one and week two, you know what? I think that's what you need to do because if Garoppolo loses both of those games or even or even goes one and one and the reason that they lost is because they didn't have the play they wanted from their starting quarterback if that happens that's when some decisions are finally going to be made or they could just go two and zero against the Lions and the Eagles. That go into that go into week three, and you know, then maybe he can make it harder on them. And 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 you know, Kyle Shanahan will have some decisions to make because it's very rare that you're just going to bring in a quarterback, especially a rookie quarterback, against the Packers and then the Seahawks who they're playing in week three and week four. But look, I, I just think Lance needs some first team reps. Like that's what I want to see. I'm tired of having to go with the twos out there, because the twos, they aren't cutting it. Uh, And and one more thing from Shadahead, though, and... and I'm glad he's open to this, but uh, this is what he had to say regarding the quarterback decision.
3: You know, I'm just really excited that, you know, I think we've always had a, a quarterback like Jimmy who can give you the chance to win a Super Bowl. And when he hasn't been in, we've really struggled. And I also think we drafted a guy who can get there also, which, yeah, that makes me very excited. Um, however that plays out, whatever gives us the best chance to win is definitely what I'm trying to focus on. But I'm also excited um, that I think we have some depth there too to where regards to what happens. I know you have other answers (laughs)
2: You know, he just keeps on going back and forth, back and forth. Whoever gives us the best chance to win, whoever gives us the best chance to win. You know, in in, in my opinion, you just traded that much. uh, you, You traded that much value. You traded that much stock in your draft picks and you're not going to play this guy. I find it very hard to believe that Lance won't at least come in at some point this season. But one other guy that I do want to focus on because we've been so just analyzing the quarterback competition to its end, but I do just want to give a shout out to this guy because I think this is a key piece to the defense uh, that the 49ers are going to need to stay healthy, but it is one Jason Verrett.
3: He's been great. I, mean, I love JV. I'm sure he's thought of very highly here, too. Uh, the way he carries himself, he, you can see special guys on the field and how talented they are, but um, you also see what's special when you get around someone like that and know how they are, and he's a bulldog. He's competitive as can be. He's just Tough of guys we have out there, and one of the better leaders on this team, even though you don't hear him talk all the time.
2: And considering considering the depth on the D-line, as I've just mentioned, I've said that word like a billion times in the first half hour this morning, but as we're talking about the D-line and at linebacker, you know, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, those two guys are, are crucial to the defense, but I don't think we're giving enough credit to Jason Verrett and how important it is for him to be starting as the cornerback for this team. Because, look, if any one of these guys goes down... If any one of these dudes goes down, it's going to be on Jason Verrett to step up as that number 1 guy, but you have Kwan Williams in the slot, you have Emmanuel Mosley on the other side, and if and, and Sig Jason Verrett in the number 2 and Emmanuel Mosley in the number 4, it's sick. It's so sick. But I do think that even though the you know the pressure on the D line can take some of the uh, take some of the action off of the secondary and you know take some of the pressure off the secondary there and giving them so a little more time to work with to follow around their wide receivers, I do think Jason Verrett is a Pro Bowl caliber cornerback, and with him. If he stays healthy, if he remains healthy this season, then I think that that defense can be really good. But if Varette does go down, then that puts a little change in things because, you know, joukowsky Tart, safety, already out right now, but you could be seeing Hufanga continue to make his way up the depth chart as the preseason goes on. He looked really good in Week 1. But if Verrett goes down, then you got Emmanuel Mosley who could take over that spot, but then after that... Who do you got in the slot, and who are you going to put as that number two CB on the other side? Because if in that instance, then the quarterback is just not going to be looking toward Verrett's side. It's going to be looking to whoever's filling in for uh, for Mosley or Kwan Williams, and in that case the nickel cornerback position, they don't have much depth there either. Now maybe Jamedor Lenore and Ambry Thomas, the rookies, they could take those spots. Lenore with the interception in week 1 and um, actually a, a lot of those guys in the secondary looked really good. <laughs> to be honest with you, they look I, I thought they I thought they showed out in that game against the Chiefs. I thought uh, I thought they showed a lot of promise for some rookies there. Uh, but man, Jason Verrett, I just think that his name hasn't been mentioned enough when it comes to the defense because We've been so focused on Nick Bosa and his return, D. Ford, hopefully Javon Kinlaw comes back, Fred Warner, Drain Grelaw, and all those guys. But I don't think Jason Varek gets talked about enough. That dude, like coming back from all of those injuries that he had, playing in the, what, five games in the three previous seasons uh, prior to him joining the 49ers, I don't think he gets talked about enough. That's just me. Triple 957 9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. From the 707, once Trey has a competent amount of the playbook down, he will start. He can already run certain plays. Jimmy G can. He doesn't get to throw. Jimmy O knows uh, Then Jimmy O no throws this year. Yeah, I mean, look, it's week 2 is going to be completely different. We'll see what he does against the Chargers, but all I want to do is see Trey Lance with the ones before we make any proper evaluations because what we did see in the start of the first two drives, that first throw that was the drop by Ayuk and then eventually that uh, that 80-yard touchdown to Trent Sherfield, he's shown that he can look man, he can he could sling it and he can move. And that's something that really you hadn't seen too much of with Jimmy Garoppolo. And knowing when to break the pocket, feeling it, it's a whole feel thing as well. And that's why I think quarterbacks need to get that experience, because it's not just what you can learn on the sidelines from the playbook, but getting that on-field experience under center as well. Just having a feel for the D line, knowing when to evade pressure. I mean, a lot of guys are can be are experts at that. Hell, Tom Brady is an expert at that. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, all those guys. So I- I'm curious to see what will happen uh, come this weekend. But really looking forward to it. All right, triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That's the text line and the phone number. And this two o nine text. Had it it, it? it was the question that I was going to ask going into this segment. Before I get to Langford's long balls, but the two hundred nine asked it perfectly, and I do wonder this: which team is more built for the playoffs, the Oakland Days? or the San Francisco Giants. 888-957-9570. That's the text line and the phone number. Want to do a little preview of the A's and Giants series coming up, but then we will get to Langford's long balls at 545. All right, stick around, everybody. Stephen Langford in on the pregame show, 95.7.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
2: Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. I want to know from you at AAA 957 That's the text line and the phone number. Let's just assume both the A's and the Giants make the playoffs this season. Uh, it's a big series this weekend as um, the Dodgers got the win over the Mets yesterday with the Giants' day off, and the A's got the big win over the White Sox as the Astros won their game uh, against the Royals as they're both in a race for their division right now. So, you know, it's close, and <laughs> this series is huge for both teams. Alright, right now, the Giants are up 2.5 on the Dodgers, while the A's are 2.5 behind Houston. So, this is a big one. This could swing everything in the Western standings uh, if, if if it's a possible sweep for either team. This is going to be a very fascinating series over the weekend, but there are a couple other reasons why that I want to get to. But triple eight nine five seven is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. If these teams do make the playoffs, which team is likely to go deeper into the postseason if you had to guess? The A's or the Giants? Triple Eight, Nine Five Seven, Nine Five Seven Zero. That is the text line and the phone number. Uh so and, and I'm seeing here with uh, the, text, uh, the text line as the phone starts ringing and everything's just going crazy. For the five one zero. the loss of Bassett is a huge blow for the playoffs. That's Oreo cookie in Oakland. Uh, there hasn't been anything that's come out saying he will be out for the playoffs, will it? I mean, the, you got surgery uh, after the swelling. Uh, we got to see what's going to happen with Chris Bassett and whether he can come back or not. Um, and, and look, that, was just, that just sucked. Like, like uh, knowing who Chris Bassett is, you've heard me play some of his post game sound on here before. Uh, but knowing just the type of emotion that he plays with when he had his first, uh, when he had his first career shutout, when he went all nine innings and didn't give up a single run, just how much of a journey it had been to get to where he was at. And the fact that before the game, going up against a team that had traded him originally, I mean, just seeing that happen, its it, it, it was brutal. It, it, it was brutal. And from the 5 1 0, are you kidding me? Oakley can't even get past the second round. The Giants at least have experience. Well, there are a couple of things because, look, the Giants, it's, look, I've been talking about them every day. But with the A's, there is one piece to this team, two pieces as a matter of fact, one of which hasn't really shown up too much this season, but that is one Matt Chapman, and as of right now, Matt Chapman has at least had a hit. In six of the last seven games. And if you do the math on that, he is 10 of 23 ever since that series against Texas. So for the past two series, he has been hitting the crap out of the ball. And yesterday, getting the home run to tie the ball game, uh, at three three, but, uh, or to give the A's the lead, excuse me. And look, if you get him going and you, essentially replaced Starling Marte with Ramon Loriano because Ramon Loriano of course got suspended 80 games, but Starling Marte has been so damn good for the A's. Like that is what's different from this A's team previously when they played this year to now. Like that's what's different. And not only that, but these bullpen's that both these teams have Something that can't go overlooked. Right now, they're giving up the exact same amount of home runs over nine innings with just over one. And that's a good stat to use because, you know, no no starting pitcher, no reliever lasts the entirety of the nine innings. So over the course of nine innings, they're giving up an average of just about a home run uh, over the course of nine, which for relievers is crazy. But not only that, they're very similar in ERA, the Giants relievers right now have a 3.2, while the A's relievers have a 3.5. So, a little disparity there, but not really. The Giants are third in the league compared to the A's, who are tied with New York for fifth in the league. So, Regardless of the numbers, both very good bullpens, and Andrew Chafin has helped out a lot with that. Andrew Chafin traded over from the Cubs, looks like a player straight up from the nineteen (laughs) eighties. Like you know, if he was like a character in a movie, he looks like one. If if it was a baseball movie, Andrew Chafin, the reliever, looks like one of those uh, the the characters that would be like obsessed with the food in the clubhouse you know, just waiting to have a donut after the game and then go out and throw lights out. Like, he's been really good this season as well, and that's something that the A's didn't have, but, you know, along with Uzmero Petit, who's been just pitching a bunch this year, and Andrew Chafin, who's got a 1.63 ERA, and Lou Trevino, who's got a 1.75 ERA, he came in for the save yesterday. It looks like both of their bullpens are really, really good, and if the A's lineup can get back to you know being uh, to get back to what is expected of them. I mean, Matt Olson has stayed hot for a majority of the season. There's no doubt that Matt Olson has uh, ha- has been an all star this year. Matt Chapman, a lot left to be desired from him, um, you know. And and they got Tony Kemp and Elvis Andrews still. But look, I, I just think that. The A's, they can make a little bit of a playoff push, but if I had to put my money on it, it would be the Giants right now. But something that I thought the A's had more of an advantage of, and this was prior to Chris Bassett going down, was I did think they had an advantage with the one, two, three guys in their rotation. I did think they had the advantage with Bassett, Minaya, and Montas. And based on that alone... Look, if you're in a if you're in a playoff hunt and if you're in a playoff race, and that's what's gonna that's where the lineup is gonna help you. That's when scoring runs is gonna help you, as well as that bullpen. But once you make it to the playoffs and you're getting in these series with three or five games, you need these starters to perform because if you put your bullpen in too much, then you're not going to. Essentially, hide what makes you strong, which is you know giving you the giving you the secret weapon, giving these teams the secret weapon. You know you don't want to see you don't if you're the Giants, you don't want other teams seeing Jose Alvarez every single game. You don't want these teams seeing I don't know a guy like Zach Lattell every single game because if they do and they need to come in and maybe the fifth, sixth, or uh, fifth or sixth innings, then. You're giving them a chance to get used to the timing on their pitches and get more of a read on them and know what's coming the next time. And that's where I thought the A's had an advantage there. But man, I I I thought, I I think this is going to be a much more just even series. And this is the one, right? This is the one toward the end of the year when, you know, this is where the bragging rights happen forget everything that's happened at the beginning of the season and the fact that the A's, despite what's happened to them, have still gone 69 and 53 on the year. That's nothing short of impressive and they've continued to be uh, just one of the more overlooked teams nationally. Um, but the only thing is, and this is the only knock on the A's, and this is something that I saw as a knock to them last year, but one record uh, in the standings that I think doesn't um, get enough credit is the record against over 500 teams. Because when you're playing with in a division like... The AL West, which you know the Angels have been teetering along that 500 line for a very long time. Seattle has been playing above 500 ball a majority of the uh, a majority of the year, and uh, you know you you look at these teams and how they do against above uh, above 500 teams. The A's are 35 and 38 right now, 35 and 38, whereas the Giants are 35 and 25. So they've had a lot more opportunities, but in order to match that record, the Giants would have to go 0-for-13 against above 500 teams in order to tie that right now, and I don't think that would happen. But that record right there shows that they do beat up on the teams that are under 500, but the teams that are over 500, eh, a little more questionable, and that's where I give the uh, the Giants the edge, and that's what happened last year. Last year was insane because we were in a 60 game season and the American League West wasn't very good uh, along with just like the the Western division because besides you know the Dodgers and the Padres, everybody else within the West, not a very good team and that's all they played right Last year that was a it was an interesting schedule. They played uh, you know the Western teams played the West, the central teams played the central, the Eastern teams played the East. Well the A's teams, they didn't play many teams that were over 500 and going into the playoffs everyone else had played maybe 20 to 30 games against teams over 500 the A's they played 6 <laughs> they played 6 we do have a caller on the line though at 888 that's a text line to the phone number which team is more built for the playoffs what's your name where are you calling from sir good
4: morning this is Eric from Oakland
2: Eric from Oakland what do you want to say man man well
4: I'm an A's fan Contrary to my football beliefs, but um, I'm one of those cross uh, pollinating How'd that happen? Uh, fans, but
2: H- How'd that happen?
4: You know, I'll, t- I'll tell you, late 80s, you know, uh, yeah. probably 11 years old, I wasn't really into sports. And then all of a sudden, McGuire, Kinsinko popped up, and you had Montana to Rice, and I just couldn't, you know, do anything else. And I lived in East Bay at the time, and the Raiders weren't here. And it's just how it was, you know?
2: Yeah, 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 of I- course.
4: Kind of. Yeah, kind of
2: happened. Because I'm, Ra- I'm a I'm a I'm anyway, a I'm a Raiders um, and Giants fan, Eric. I don't I don't know if you know that when I'm when I'm on here. I mean, that doesn't <laughs> doesn't mean I have anything against these other teams. I for the most part, I support everyone in the Bay Area now at this point. But yeah, I kind of grew up more of a Giants and Raiders fan. So anyway, continue.
4: So, um, looking at the teams, honestly, I can't explain what the heck the Giants are doing and how the heck they're doing it. <laughs> Bottom line man they have some of that magical sprinkles from from 10 12 and 14 where they weren't the best team in the major league you know but they are just doing it and winning and finding different ways and i can't you can't argue it and i can't explain it and it's one of those things where you just you can't put a finger on now as far as my a's are concerned you know bassett was a huge blow i don't have too too much confidence and and the A's, if they make the playoffs, actually doing anything? I actually, and I'm kind of down on this weekend. I really feel like, you know, unless the A's come out there and Marte turns into Ricky Henderson and 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 uh, you know Olsen steps his game up because he's been kind of slumping with his batting average lately. Mm. And Chapman's been heating up a little bit. He's been hitting some dingers, but it might be a little too you know a little too late. Uh, I don't really see the, the A's do anything if. If, if, if I had to choose, I, I'd say the Giants are going to go further, and that's just because of how they're playing and they're getting some players back. Um, and also the fact that there's that special magic, man, and, and I can't explain it. I just can't. So I, I would say the Giants are definitely going to go further than the A's. And, and that's from an A's fan. I'm sorry, all you guys out there, but I, that's just you've got to be honest.
2: All right, Eric. Thank you for the phone call. And you know what? I'm going to play a sound clip for you. From Farhan Zaidi. From Farhan Zaidi, who was on the Giants Talk podcast along with uh, Cole Kuyper and Alex Pavlovich of MVC Sports Bay Area. And he said something about why the Giants have been so successful, at least part of what's made the Giants so successful this year. And I also think that, that can this can relate to the A's as well. But here's what Farhan had to say regarding the Giants' success this season. You know, I have to be honest, so much of being able to kind of graduate these players from
3: you guys who've been up and down or guys who've been great players in the minor leagues is just having a supportive clubhouse coaching staff and manager, having a group of coaches that is excited to work with a guy like Lamont Wade Jr., having a manager
2: that's excited to put that guy in the lineup and then having players around those guys that support them and are excited to see them succeed on the field. So sometimes it's not so much about identification
3: because I think there are... Other Yaz's, is Lamont Wade Juniors who are in, in AAA
1: with teams and maybe aren't getting that opportunity. So it's a credit to the environment here, you know, as well as the talent and ability of those players. So I would say that's the secret
3: sauce of the organization. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> and that is something to me that uh, you, you can credit that to the Giants and you know, Gabe Kapler, the coaching staff, but if you're going to if you're going to pinpoint something where I look back on the career of Bob Melvin and I try and look at something that's made his team so successful in these past in in his tenure with the A's so much so that he become became the winningest manager in A's history over Tony La Russa and that's because he's been with the team uh, as long as any of those guys Bob Melvin has but I, I, that's what's made these teams so similar is I already talked about the bullpen and what's made similar there. Their home runs over nine innings, they've only given up uh, just one, uh, just about 1.01 for the Giants and 1.02 for the A's. So whatever, point, whatever, a tenth of it, whatever, one one hundredth, whatever, no matter. But the positive environment and the positive reinforcement that's given to your stars when they're down the positive reinforcement. Look, at one point, Crawford was batting 248, and it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> like, like, he's been doing this quite a bit, uh, at least, uh, you know, having a career type of season, but a lot of it's been done really since the beginning of July, and he just hasn't slowed down. It just feels like he's been doing it the entire season. But Bob Melvin's been the same way. I mean, Matt Chapman. Regardless of the average, still an incredibly talented player, and with everything that's been going on with the Loriao suspension that's that's been looming over their heads, and you know everything that's been going on with the city of Oakland and the team, and possibly moving, like Bob Melvin has managed to keep their uh, just keep their team in check and keep it on the field. And I mean, look look no further than the Mets right now. Look no further than the Mets. Steve Cohen, Steve Cohen, who is the new owner of the team, he's out here tweeting and blasting the lineup, saying that the lineup's not good enough. And this was after the Giants series. Steve Cohen is blasting the team. Uh, new York Sports Talk Radio is apparently trying to fire their manager already, even though the Mets are at a point now in the uh, in the NL East where. They're five games back at first place, and they're 60 and 61, but still, they're they're a good ball club, still a pretty good ball club, and they got the owner and the manager expected to be fired possibly after one season. Like, they're a mess. Environment matters, and culture matters. Bob Melvin built that with the A's, and I, I attribute that to some of their success as well as just the talent of their players and what they had and the depth that they've had, but... That positive environment that you need, I think it's important in today's sports, whether you like it or not, and I'm sure there are some of you who are yelling at your radio right now, telling you, you millennial, Steven, you?" you know, like, this isn't the participation trophy era, who cares? But at the same time, look at what these teams have been doing. Look at what these teams have been doing, regardless of this. Eric in Oakland, he's an A's fan, but he seemed to be pretty down on the team, but they're still 69-53 on the year. <laughs> 56% winning percentage. They're still doing pretty well. Now we'll see what happens today because they are 35 uh, 34 and 25 at home where the Giants are 36 and 24 in away games. So the uh, the A's uh, home record matches the Giants away record. It's just a they're just a half game up. So the, the, it's a very even matchup as far as I'm seeing right now. It's a very even matchup. And Alex Dickerson, Giants outfielder, he joins Damon Radwin Kolsky weekly and here's what he had to say about playing at the Coliseum
0: that place is uh, very outdated and as much as it may look like it on the field inside, it is uh, it is very far behind the signs and I think that's where kind of the complaints and wanting an update are coming from. It's just that it it is very, very old and it uh, it's not as nice. It's a lot smaller. There's the way it was built because it was football and baseball. There's a lot of hallways. You get lost there. Sometimes I can't find the field. So, yeah, it's definitely one I would like to see updated.
2: So, even with that, even with all of this looming over the A's, they've managed to have some semblance of a winning season. And this, this, this series this weekend is huge for both teams. Huge. Both two and a half games out, uh, the Giants two and a half games up on the Dodgers, where the A's are two and a half games back of the Astros. If either one of these teams sweeps, it could have significant implications on the season going forward. From the 5-1-0, Giants aren't worried about the A's. We won the last series, and that was without Belt, Longo, and KB. That's a fact from the 5-1-0. The stolen base is what's going to push the A's over the top. No more waiting for the walk-walk, three-run homer. Go Marte. Marte's a lot of fun to watch, man. He's a lot of fun to watch, but so are the Giants as well. The Giants lineup seems like they'll have those days where they could just hit four five home runs on any given night, which is crazy to think about. One more thing that I wanted to get to as I just completely blew blew by Langford's long balls today, but no one's complaining about it, so it's fine. But one thing (laughs) thing that I saw yesterday that caught my eye, and I'm just like, why is this dude in the news again? But the ESPN NBA team had their off-season survey where they take NBA scouts and executives and they vote on who the best player is going to be going into this season, among a variety of things. And LeBron got zero votes. Zero votes for LeBron James. And now all the headlines are surrounding LeBron and the Lakers, the fact that everyone is saying he's washed. It's like... (laughs) You hear so much of the time that players don't care about the media, players don't care about the outside noise, they're just trying to block it. But then when you get no votes on some survey from ESPN, which you probably... You, you don't know who these executives are. You don't care. And you're just putting it out on social media. Thank you, as if I don't need, didn't need more to gas me up. Hashtag washed with the crown emoji. It's just like you clearly do care lebron you clearly care about the outside noise and what people are saying and that just goes to show with Aunt, with carmelo the addition of carmelo and russell westbrook and everyone talking about the seniority of the team like when i saw that yesterday i'm just like why why really you know what, I I will say this, LeBron is the type of dude that does play with a chip on his shoulder, and if this is something that he cares about, then fine. But it's not like this is the top 100 players list for the NFL network when I actually believe, um, I, I do believe that players care about that sort of stuff because you are voted on by your peers regardless of even getting voted whichever spot you're voted uh they don't care about that so much as actually getting voted onto the list if you feel like you're one of the top 100 players in the nfl and your peers don't vote you onto that list i do think you take that personally but this espn article which is just an off-season thing just so they can get some content like why do you care saw that yesterday, and I just threw my hands up. I was like, okay, whatever. All right, that's going to do it for me. You got the Giants and the A's this series coming up. Both very similar teams in a lot of ways. I'm really looking forward to it.